Today, we introduce a new segment called the China Cabinet. However, it's a little more than just a small segment on this episode and pretty much fills up our entire time. This one's packed full of info. I'm John Fender, along with Gary Humble and Kevin Kukaji. This is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Here's the official kickoff. Is that, is that official <laughs> enough for you? Football season. <laughs> is that preseason kickoff or is that a well, regular season? Well, apparently it is because I turned the TV on the other day and there was a Titans game on. That's right. Last night. So I guess, Ravens, right? I don't know. No, I it's football. Was... Do you know the Raven? This this is totally meaningless, but it's still impressive. <clears throat> the Ravens have won 21 straight meaningless games, meaning 21 straight preseason football games, which would cover five seasons. Really? Yeah. Huh. So did they win last night? They won last night against okay. the Titans, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, no, I didn't turn the TV on to watch football. I turned the TV on to watch the Field of Dreams mm-hmm. baseball game, and the Titans game had to be, happened to be on. Yeah. There's got to get something for that, right? 21 straight preseason it's just, games? It's a very unusual stat. Who cares about winning? And you wonder if it's just kind of been accidental or if they've actually tried to make sure that they keep this streak alive. Because 21 games... Sounds very intentional. Nobody else is really trying. They're just trying really hard to win preseason games. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't translated to the regular season because they haven't. So maybe they should think about Super Bowl. Maybe they should think about playing their uh, rookie and and B team more during the regular season or whatever whatever that mix up is. Maybe those guys are better. Or asking their opponents to play their rookie or B team. There's always that. Yeah. True. Uh, Hey, last week we aired. The live event we did the week prior to that. Yeah. Because Gary needed a break, so we gave him a break. Yeah. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. You're back. I'm re- I'm I'm uh I'm recovered. Okay. Haircut recovered too. from the campaign trail. Yeah. Got, yeah, a I got my, my high and tight back. So yeah. It was not quite high and tight, but yeah. <laughs> well tighter than it was. Yeah. Yeah. I can see. I can see the the skin now through the back of your yeah hair. See, you can see all the gray. A lot better, too. Hey, that just makes you wiser, right? That's every time I get... I just got my hair cut today. Every time I get my hair cut, my children say, Daddy, there, there's no more pepper. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> just down to salt. <laughs> That's all right. Um, good. I'm glad you're doing better. Well. Yeah. yeah. Rested. All set. Ready to go. Let's tackle something. Kevin, mm-hmm. you, you well, were excited because you I said you excited. had a bunch of stuff. So let me kind of give you an outline and then we can pick and choose. Today, I think it would be great to talk about a law firm in Nashville, which shall go unnamed and how it relates to COVID. And we'll come back around to that. But then I want to introduce a new section. Tell me what you guys think called either the China closet or the China cabinet. I've got a stack of information that it's so important. And the top piece is why state legislatures must confront Chinese infiltration. Hmm. Hmm, That's Um, good. There's so much to talk about with regard to China that I think maybe if we had a little five minute segment every week where we could um i mean couple couple episodes ago you rattled off like 20 things right. we needed to be concerned about yeah uh with china i like the china cabinet yeah, yeah and we could be literal bowls in the china cabinet right? there you go yeah going and breaking things so why don't we start with it this okay. week and and all all that i'll do this week to kind of give it a taste and then we can talk about it and move on is um this is a highlight of a report that the heritage foundation has done just came out about 10 days ago August 4th, actually. And I was pleased because I have been, and I'll say this, this is not a boast or a brag. I wish I didn't have to boast or brag about this. But I've been harping on the 
Danger of China, at least publicly since 2013. And you can find that because I was at an event. You know, I, I don't know if, if we've talked about it or if we've talked about it on air. Um, in 2013, I came this close to running for Senate um, mm-hmm. against Lamar Alexander and had my campaign team, had fundraising support, everything was ready to go. I ultimately decided for reasons that we can't go into today not to do it. But I was at a pre-campaign event where I was debating um, the other Republican candidate, and there was a – it was somewhere out by the airport. I think it was the Sheraton. Mm. And I'm saying this because if anybody's listening to this, they'll remember that day. And one of the questions posed by the moderator was, what is the biggest threat, foreign threat to the United States? And everybody in the room wanted to talk about the Middle East and what was going on in the Middle East. And I just raised my hand and I said, no, your biggest threat is China. And nobody was talking about the dangers of China. And I kind of went down my checklist. So I've been waiting for so long for think tanks and the general population to finally be aware of what's going on in China. And we're, we're behind the eight ball and we're late. But I'm pleased that people are finally catching up. We've got a lot of work to do. But let me read to you. Well, and for and for what it's worth, mm-hmm. too, maybe maybe more from the economic perspective. But I think I think Trump's in the same camp. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I look back at his administration. I mean, his number one point of attack was Chinese indiscretion. Right. You know, on our economy and what mm-hmm. they've been doing for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, China has been far too long viewed as a friend, and. Um, and people are slow to recognize that in our own state. Let me just read this one page, and then um, that'll kind of set off this China closet. As the federal government gradually works to confront the risks posed by the People's Republic of China's infiltration of American political, economic, and social life, Beijing continues to access a backdoor to our political system largely undetected. China's influence operations against the United States target not only the U.S. Congress and executive branch, but also political and social organizations at the state and local levels. Never has a foreign adversary had such deep inroads in U.S. state and local politics. The range and persistence of operations make past adversaries, the Nazis and the Soviets included, look like amateurs. Beijing targets schools, churches, and community organizations. Its influence is felt on university campuses, in boardrooms, and in governor's mansions. Its agents cultivate aspiring politicians, business elites, and academics early in their careers and use these relationships to influence policymaking decades later, largely unbeknownst to their victims. State legislatures, again, this is a heritage report that kind of summarizes all of this, State legislatures must act to confront China, a new report from the Heritage Foundation, provides a high-level overview of some of these threats. So here, here are one, two, three, f- let me just highlight four points that they make. Preventing companies linked to the Chinese government from obtaining contracts to build critical infrastructure or supply technology to government organizations, that's number one. Number two, stopping Beijing's infiltration of universities. We talked last week or a couple weeks ago about the Confucius Institutes, uh, particularly via gifts and grants, and that's how they do that. Freeing public funds, particularly pension funds, from investments in problematic Chinese entities. And again, this has been happening. We mentioned it briefly a couple weeks ago. Even the U.S. military's retirement fund is being invested Mm. in communist China 
Chinese-owned companies, which is outrageous. And the number four, pushing back against Chinese lobbying in state and local governments. So with that overview, I would – this is probably, as you can see here, how, how big this report is. We could probably fill a couple months of um, discussions, five minutes a week, going into some of the details of Chinese influence. But I think it's really important because it's a ground-up response. Our legislature is not paying attention to this, um, most of them. Our governor is certainly not. He has encouraged businesses to do – U.S. businesses, Tennessee businesses to do business with China – and um, so I think it's really important that our audience and and all of those across the state of Tennessee who care for liberty and the American order are educated on this so they can begin speaking to their legislature. What about the purchase of property by members directly connected to right. the CC, CCP? Yep. You've got – and it's not just overall, right? We We know in the agricultural sense they're buying farmland, but it's also strategically placed property. That's right. Interestingly enough, next to airports, next to military bases, next next to um, satellite installations. Wow. Why would they want the land next to these? I mean, are, are they selling us property in China? <laughs> of course Probably no. not. No. So. And certainly not next to their key strategic interests, right? Yeah. Are, and are we even trying? That's the other thing. Have we tried either directly or indirectly um, to gain access yeah, it's it's stunning how far behind we are. And as this report discusses, this started decades ago, right? You have politicians who are now so deeply entrenched. Well, look at the president of the United States. His family has been entrenched with Chinese interests for many years. This didn't, didn't just happen when he became president. He's been compromised way back in his years in the Senate. That shows you how strategic and long-term thinking they are. Um, and so it's going to take a long time to overcome this, but better better late than never. We need to start now. Can I ask a question? Please do. Might be a stupid question. No stupid questions. But Gary says that's what I'm here for, so. Oh, come on now. I'm here for the I've party. I've never actually Gary, <coughs> said those words. Other than the beard, Gary kind of looks military now with that cut. Yeah, that is a military <laughs> cut. Uh, it's a little too long on top, though, still. Yeah. You're going to have to go a little shorter on top yeah. of the... I'm ready for a fight, y'all. Bring Sorry. it on. Yeah. I interrupted, John. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. China's a communist country. Cuba's a communist country. Why is it that the outlook on both of those countries is completely different for the U.S.? Why is it that we can do business all day long with China? We can buy products. We can do all kinds of commerce, all all kinds of stuff with China. Up until recently, we couldn't even buy cigars from Cuba. Right. Like, what? What's the difference? Why? Why is there such a different outlook on both countries that are communist? Well, countries? there's not really a difference. The <laughs> it's such a great question because and the answer I, it might just be money. There, that's all it is. Yeah. But you know, in recent administrations, they've been trying to quote unquote open up commerce with Cuba, and the danger of that is, and the reason it was good to shut down commerce with Cuba, you know, the argument is is always made. It's unfair to the Cuban people that we're not doing commerce with Cuba. Well, that's that's a lie because that money all goes to the dictators mm. who continue to suppress political enemies. They've got them imprisoned. They mistreat them. They abuse them as they do in China. But the difference is money. 
How many people are in China? How many billions of people live in China? Well, and yeah, that... So that's a huge market, whether we're talking about the NBA or Apple, that's one side of it. And then the other part is a giant labor force to put together all your iPhones, to manufacture all your Nike sneakers and whatnot. Yeah, okay, all right. So it's interesting we're talking about this today because I've recently... I'm going to admit, I have not... As a a dumb American, you know, just paying attention to different things, I have not been paying attention to China, but I am now. But but in recent weeks, um, I mentioned this a few episodes ago. I've recently become a subscriber to uh, Daily Wire, which I love. Yeah. Great content. Yeah. Daily Wire has a um, it's either a five or a six part mini series on China with I've a guy named it. Lee Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just finished watching it like two nights ago. It breaks it down on how China has used Hollywood and sports and universities and all these different arenas of American life to promulgate this idea of how great China is. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just – it's all marketing, presenting a positive image. Yep. Like despite the human rights abuses and the Uyghurs and all the things that have gone on in China, it's just this marketing ploy of presenting communism in China – in a positive light, yep. even it's propaganda. Yeah, as hundred percent. So the Russians were great at it it's too. It's a masterful propaganda. Yeah, but the Chinese are way better yeah. than the Russians everywhere. Even they even highlighted the last, the last part of the miniseries is an episode on the NBA, and I can think when I you know a few years ago, not even realizing this was happening, and I can't remember his name. It was the the Chinese basketball player for the is Houston it, Rockets. Yeah, Yao Ming. Was Yao that Ming. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And China. I mean, they, they go through this whole – they really show you how Yao Ming was nothing more than a tool of the Chinese to, number one, promote China to the U.S. And then that – Yao Ming literally specifically is what brought the NBA into China and created this whole new audience. And with all of the money attached, literally – allowed China to control the NBA and its entire message and how that impacted the American psyche on its view of China. It, it's really incredible. But I wanted to read this. I was looking this up on my phone because this came up on my feed. This links to what's going on in Taiwan mm-hmm. right now. And uh, I saw this come up on uh, Twitter through a TikTok video. Um, actor John Cena. Huh. Okay. So apparently wrestler and actor. Yes. Okay. So apparently John Cena made a comment about Taiwan and called Taiwan a country, which it, it is. is. Uh-huh. <laughs> a sovereign nation. So he truthfully depicted geography. That's right. <laughs> and apparently He's starring in a movie that is releasing in China, and the Chinese were offended yep. that he called Taiwan a country. Yep. So John Cena subsequently goes on TikTok and says, quote, I must say right now, and by the way, he's saying this, he's speaking in Chinese. Oh. Okay, so which is, I don't know if he actually knows Chinese, but he's speaking no, in Chinese. And he says, quote, I must say right now, it's very, 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 very important, Cena said. I love and respect China and Chinese people. I'm very, very sorry for my mistake. And this was all surrounding the fact that he called Taiwan 
a country. Where His, was, I'm sorry, I missed the mistake. Where was the mistake? That he called Taiwan a country. But it's not and a mistake. This was a well. It was greatly offensive to the Chinese, <laughs> where of course his new movie is releasing, and so his producer overlords had him record a video apologizing to the Chinese as not to hinder the release of their movie. So it's, it has to suck really bad <laughs> to be that beholden to somebody. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's a double problem. It's bad enough that China is so insecure about its own sovereignty that they have to go on these pressure campaigns to stop everyone from even mentioning the fact that Taiwan is an independent sovereign nation. But then that you have Americans who are so invested only in money. This is what ha- this is what has happened when Republicans only argue tax policy and yes. not morals, right? Yes. So we get down Forget to... Forget values. It's all about right. the dollar. And so when you're only dealing with the dollar then something has to give. And to this particular actor, I don't know him, sorry. What's his name again? John Cena. He's this huge, ripped, like, <laughs> he's, he was a, massive he was guy. A WWE, well, okay. When he was dubbed, was it WWE, WWF? I think he's E. He was WWE. Yeah. F is when we were kids. Yeah, so he sorry. Was, he's not that I just old. dated myself. <laughs> <laughs> he was a big wrestler, and then he turned actor yeah. somewhat. Sort of like The Rock. I mean, kind yeah. of same okay. deal. Yeah. yeah, that's what I pictured in my mind. Okay. So, so, so he's picture, lost picture all... a, a humongous guy like The Rock on a TikTok video going, I'm very, 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 very sorry. In Mandarin. Yeah. And here's another fact, but it's probably going to be deemed offensive. To <laughs> communist Chinese people who are probably about one third his size, right? And so here he is capitulating. Right, but Americans used to speak for freedom above all. But that's that's the thing. He's not capitulating to the Chinese people. He's capitulating to his studio that's he, threatening to not give him a he, job if he doesn't do it. But they're one and the same. That's that's the problem. Well, okay, he, I see your he point. He can there. justify it to himself by saying, "Well, I had to do it for my job." But that's how you break countries. That's this is the United States has no not as a whole country. There are so many people who get a voice on a national stage, who have no more courage to stand up for freedom. In the past, people would have said no. They would have said, hell no. Yeah, Taiwan's an independent sovereign nation. Let me tell you how closely this hits the home, even in my business, right? I'm a music attorney. I've been a music attorney for 30 years. And this week, I had a client send me a contract because they were distributing a record, a little record in China. And the very first thing that stuck out to me, I'm reading the the cover sheet, territory, right? Listen to this. China, parentheses, including Hong Kong, Macau, Macau, uh, I don't know, and Taiwan, right? So China, wow, they're so thorough, deliberate, and strategic that even in a little record contract, wow, for a couple thousand dollars on an unknown artist to distribute one record in China. They have to make sure that territory, China, includes Taiwan. Wow. This is this is very intentional and very thorough. So can we give a look, because I realize this is just supposed to be the China cabinet. We're only supposed yeah. to spend five minutes on it, but maybe for this first one, we just take the whole episode. No. Can we give a little backstory? Because I don't even know if I know the full story. Like, why does where does China come from saying that Taiwan is theirs? Where's the history on this? I don't know the history All on right, this. All right, so that's... It's too deep to go into full history. Okay. But Taiwan has been an independent sovereign nation for how many years? Well, Kevin's looking that up. 
I, I want to point out. And we probably and, won't be able to find it on the phone anymore because they, <laughs> Apple would not have let Apple us find what allow, the real information is. Yeah. yeah, Apple and Google will not allow you to find that truthful That's highly information. Possible, yeah. yeah. But I just want to make sure the audience did not miss what Kevin said earlier that Chinese people are small. American people are lower. And, and so China, if you want America, come and take it. That, that's what I heard you say. <laughs> that's like that's like a Texas-ized, Texas-ized statement, right? Yeah, come and <laughs> take like, it. Come and take it. Yeah. yeah. Bring it on, fellas. Um, a, this will be an interesting exercise. I'm just typing in, how long has Taiwan been an independent sovereign nation? It'll be interesting to the, see. Will Google even show you results? I, this will be <laughs> it's a, good a test. live exercise, right? This is great. Yeah. Well, at the top of it, it says Taiwan, Republic of China. So that's where they get their <laughs> that's where they get their um, their control. But Taiwan's constitution was adopted on Christmas Day, nineteen forty seven, and the current government was established. Yeah, so this was right post World War Two. Okay, May forty eight. The government was moved to Taipei in forty nine. So yeah, I mean, all of my life, it's been but, a sovereign nation. But why does China think it's theirs? I suppose in the same way that any country that has expansionist communist desires, of course, let me answer it this way. Why does China call the rest of the South China Sea theirs? I mean, they've, they've established military operations now on islands that were never theirs, that now they're calling theirs. They've established control over what has historically been known as international waters based on how far it is. It's beyond 200 miles off of China's coast which is the general law of the right, sea that everybody right. has the 200 miles, well beyond 200 miles, and they're claiming that it's theirs. Um, they've been in dispute with uh, Japan about a number of islands between China and Japan. It's just expansionism. Well, I'm sure there's deep, so it's just there's, a- there's deeper cultural context there, too. Imagine, you know, the Middle East doesn't still doesn't recognize that, you know, Israel is a nation. You've got... Palestinians that still believe that there's yeah, a that, that there's a Palestine. So You've got, I mean, all those, all these sorts of things. Is that, that are, I mean, is that is it like is this a massive history thing like that used to be a part of the Chinese uh, dynasty? I do or? believe I do believe that is the case. Okay, but I don't have the information here. So yeah, I, don't, I think I don't, want deeper, to, I don't want to pretend I know deeper cultural more context. than that. But during our lifetimes, Taiwan right, has been a country. Been a country. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, it has a constitution. The same amount of time as Israel. Uh, right? that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, almost the same, right? Israel was 46, 48. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. After, again, right after World War II. So, and, you know, that was a realignment of sovereignties anyway. But China is has been rattling these cages uh, for years. And um, in my lifetime, especially when I was younger, Taiwan entered into a treaty with the United States. The United States guaranteed to protect Taiwan in the event that China would try to do anything to take over the island. Well, that has so, treaty or not, and the treaty still exists, we have given so many of the wrong signals to China for a couple of decades now that China clearly knows we're a weak, we we don't have the ability, we should, but we don't have the ability anymore to really um, stop that as we should. And so it's Kind of dangerous because if China does indeed invade militarily, which they're giving every – they would prefer not to. That's been China's approach, right? Try to intimidate people mm-hmm. into giving up. Yeah. But should they invade militarily because now they're shooting missiles across the island and they have the capability now to take out American ships and aircraft carriers, 
capability that they've stolen from us or that it's been given to them during the Clinton and Obama administrations. But we don't have the capacity. We don't have enough soldiers. Can you imagine all of these soldiers in the American military who've taken the jab? They go into intense situations, and that's when the heart starts. You have myocarditis. We could lose all of our military in one battle, not from the enemy, right, but from our health conditions. It's, it's such a risk that it's, it's a, um, what do they call it, a perfect storm. Mm. You've got a danger of a foreign invasion, and you have unprepared military. All right. Well, I'd... We've really been I a bowl that in this one up, yeah. China That was a big bowl. Cabinet. <laughs> uh, uh, there was something else you want to go over? Well, so, An unnamed... Yeah, so interesting. This is, again, from this week. That's why I was so excited that I had a couple of live examples from my own life, one being that contract, which was just from this week. Um, have you ever wondered... I've had people ask me why in the world lawyers, especially a plaintiff lawyer, would not be taking on big pharma. You think of all the billions and hundreds of billions and is it trillions yet yep. of dollars Just that sitting out there pharmacies yeah. are making, and we have so much data now that they've killed people. Well, we have a a story from Nashville from my own personal experience that will tell you, give you a little glimpse as to why lawyers are not yet taking on big pharma. So I have a client who's in depositions and I got a note this week that the law firm where they are to show up for depositions has advised that they cannot enter the law firm. And Gary and I talked about this because I asked them for the provisions of the law. Cannot enter the law firm without proving your vaccination status. Wait. Clients can't come into the law firm? Yeah, these were these were actually opposing counsel and opposing counsel's clients coming into this particular law firm for a deposition, and they received notice a day or a couple days before that, oh, to enter the building, you actually need to prove. And this is in Nashville. Yeah. Morons. So, so I reached out to Gary, who, of course, as I've said before, and I'll say again, knows the Tennessee Constitution and Tennessee statutes better than most lawyers. So we already know from that law that Title 42, right, that it's illegal. 14. Wait, 14? Mm-hmm. Title 14. Is it 14? So I hear it's I am looking at 14. the – I'm looking at what you sent me and I, I must be – what do you call it? Inter uh, – It's it's four, So it's 14-2-101. Maybe you said 4-2 next to each other. All right. So let me just double check myself then. Can't believe I got that wrong. It was my big moment to cite the statue, right? Well, you're good. The statute's the same, but it's Title 14. Gosh, Gary, I can't believe I wrote 42. Anyway, thank you for correcting my ignorance. And we went over this a couple months ago, right? A private business, government entity, school, mm -hmm. local education, et cetera, cannot take adverse action against a person to compel the person to provide proof of vaccination. Mm -hmm. So not only is this law firm violating what is Tennessee law. But as you can see, there's something else that's going on here, which I think is the bigger picture of why lawyers are not taking these cases yet. Somewhere early on, whether intentionally or just it caught up in the whole lie, the lawyers, I guarantee you, if I'm, if I'm working for Big Pharma and my desire is to avoid a lawsuit, I'm going to make sure I get buy-in from the lawyers as soon as possible. So if you can scare the hell out of the lawyers and make them think that they're going to die and that this is a real thing and you can get the lawyers to buy into the, all the hysteria, 
and the lawyers are the ones who are driving these things, then at least it's going to delay for a long time any kind of lawsuits. I just thought it was stunning that a law firm would be so ignorant of the law. Now, granted, as you've pointed out, Gary, this law ends. It's only good till July 20. Yeah, July of 2023. 2023. Yeah. We have less than a year of liberty left. But for right now, it's just stunning, isn't it? A law firm in Nashville trying to keep someone out upon proof. I, I suggested, I don't do litigation. So this was this is a client of mine, but a client of mine who's involved in litigation. And so I don't do any of that. But they were just telling me this and asking for advice. So Gary and I talked about it and I provided them that. And I said, well, here's your statute, Title 14, not Title 42. Mm-hmm. And, and the um, problem, and the problem is, I mean, the only recourse these people have that the law gives them is to file a lawsuit. So, you know, there is no mechanism by which they can file a complaint, and some department of the state of Tennessee has is in, is incumbent upon them to enforce the law. They've got to file a lawsuit and now get all wrapped <coughs> up in court. Just not to have to show up to a place and yeah. be forced to take a shot, uh, which is crazy. No one's ever going to do that. So they just comply because or have their rights violated and find somewhere else to go. You yeah. Know, because And I, I can tell you these particular people would not have complied. I think they were looking to go to a different venue to do these depositions. But think about that, too. You wonder if the law firm, either A, they were ignorant of the law, or B, they said, you know what? They've got to sue us, so I'm just going to be a bully about it. That's right. right. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to say that. tough. And are you really going to sue me to prove this? So yeah, that's that's the disapp- another disappointing of a hundred disappointing things about these statutes that were passed not being strong enough. There's no enforcement mechanism. Yeah. There should be a, you know if there's a hundred thousand dollar fine, then people are going to comply with it. Yeah. Anyway, but it happened right under our noses this week. Right. Right after the, you know, whatever, the CDC, they loosened all their stuff. So, like, even if you're a believer in that stuff, like, they loosened all their requirements for everything. It's kind of hard to tell what in the world the CDC is doing because one day they're hard on this side and the next day they're completely the opposite. I think they're trying to figure out what they're doing or why they exist. Yeah, I saw something come across my my feed today that I guess the the CDC has issued a statement which may be part of what you're talking about these these all these new statements they've issued that people are now deserving of respect and dignity for having made their own medical decisions. No, oh, now we Today. are. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the CDC is now against discrimination. <laughs> a year and a half on, ago we weren't That's we, right. We were so, not given that dignity, <laughs> but now we are. Okay. Yes. You have right. dignity. You have dignity now. I got gotcha. you. Okay. FYI. But where do we go to get recompense for all the dignity oh, that we were that. denied? Uh, nowhere. You don't get that. All the work that we nowhere. lost because You don't get that. You just get dignity now. That's yeah. all. They can just say they're sorry, right? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, now you don't get a sorry, you just get, now you have your dignity. Can I talk yeah. about one more thing? Different sure. subject? Sure. Okay. So the other thing that I, and this ties into the lawyers that I wanted to talk about is life insurance. Have you been following what's happening to the life insurance companies who are having to pay out incredible amounts of money now to these quote unquote sudden unexpected deaths the sad, of young sads. people? Right. Sudden adult death syndrome? Yeah. Is they calling it? So- and this is what's, and this is finally, I think, what's going to tip the ice. It's the tip of the iceberg, and I think it's finally going to begin to turn the tide. And you'll find 
lawyers, not individual plaintiffs' lawyers, but insurance companies in mass sue Big Pharma because they have the most to lose. So if you think about – but, but so you're saying insurance companies are going to sue Big Pharma? Yes. Can they though? Yeah, like yeah. Big Pharma can't be held responsible. I thought that was the whole point. Is like we can't be. We're not held liable for <laughs> not this. not from the patient. Yeah, but, oh. the, but the, the insurance companies can say right. Yeah, you knew what harm was coming from these. You oh. continue. You persisted after that's been exposed. Hey, where's the popcorn? I want to watch <laughs> this one. This one's gonna be fun to watch. And, and now it's costing them what, Kevin? Well, I, I don't. know. What the, did you mention earlier? That was the basis of all of these decisions we're making. Well, not pennies. The dollar. <laughs> the dollar. Once it starts costing somebody money, oh, hold the phone. When everybody was dying, no big deal. But now it's costing the insurance companies too much money. Yeah. So think We've of, got to address this. Think, think of this, right? If a life insurance company, how they make their money, you pay premiums for your life insurance. They invest that premium over your expected life right. in a fund with other funds. So that by the time they pay out your death benefit, they have made more money than they have to pay out, right? Mm-hmm. It's just basic investment strategy. But they base these decisions on actuarial tables and what is the expe- life expectancy of a normal, healthy 40-year-old man, right? Well, suddenly, with all of these unexpected— With SADs. Yeah. <clears throat> SADs. Yeah. Isn't that sad? Deaths. Now they're having to pay out— much, much earlier. Even if you take a fraction of the number no. of people, right? So what this happens throwing their tables off. It's all it's all out of whack now. Well, but there, there's a serious so look where this goes. So now the insurance company is upside down uh-huh. because they're having to pay out far more money than they ever expected. They don't have enough time to invest that money. And it's a perfect storm again because think how bad the economy it's bad enough that their actuarial tables are messed up just from people dying earlier than expected. But it's worse because you've got a, a, an economy that's been driven into the ground ideologically, so they can't even make good money on their investments. But I'm, I made a note here that I think we need to talk about, and that is, if you think about Obamacare, what did they do with Obamacare, whether it's pre-existing conditions or people who engaged in risky behavior, Right. You weren't allowed to, or it was, it was either made illegal or frowned upon if an insurance company made a distinction between the way you lived your life, Gary, and the way somebody who was a drug abuser or was a prostitute or engaged in other promiscuous alcoholic, whatever, all to even out the cost to make it less expensive for the person who's engaging in risky behavior to still get insurance, right? So the bottom line is healthy people, responsible people were paying more directly and indirectly through taxes for the people whose lifestyle were risky. Well, the same thing I guarantee is going to happen in the insurance side, which is normally an insurance company's response to this would be, well, all the people that are dying suddenly have one thing in common, right? They've all taken this. They've been vaccinated. Yeah, they've all taken public, they've been publicly intoxicated, what we call a vaccine. But you can't make that distinction, right? Because if you make that distinction, you're being unfair, right? And oh, we can't, and, and you, of course, don't want to assess liability because that would open the door for all sorts of lawsuits. So, what's going to happen? Everybody's premiums are going to go up for life insurance. Hell no. I want a lower rate. <laughs> Everybody's insurance premiums are going to go up, and it's going to go up astronomically. 
which is going to result in the people who most need life insurance are not going to be able to afford it. And the people who don't are the only people who are going to be able to afford it, which always happens when government interferes, impedes the natural flow of the marketplace, right? So think huh. about think about that for a minute. So where we've been talking about in terms of being fired and entry to places where the unvaccinated are being discriminated against, now we all have to pay more for our life insurance because we don't want to discriminate against those people who've the taken vaccinated. the jab. Yep. <laughs> How the tables have turned. Yeah. It's mm. it's outrageous, but people need to know that's what's coming. Your life insurance premiums are going to go up, and you are going to be subsidizing those who are taking the jab, which is making them die. Dear Lord. Hi. How do we end on a high note? That's not a high note. I don't <laughs> no. like that note. No. China... When I was little, we used to Death. watch a cartoon after a scary movie. Before yeah, can we, we, can we put on a cartoon? <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. What's your favorite cartoon? Uh, what's it, what is my favorite cartoon? Um, it's going to be very different from yours, probably. I mean, we're going to have different time periods, right? Okay, can I tell you mine? Sure. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bugs Bunny is like so Looney Tunes. No, or specifically no, Bugs specifically Bunny. Bugs Bunny because. He is, Bugs Bunny is, he, he's quintessentially American. He's independent. He doesn't take any crap from anyone. He's intelligent. Of course, he always wins, right? It's, he's just, he's always inspired me. And he's a smart ass too. Like, Bugs Bunny's true. a smart ass. When I, was growing, when I was growing up in the 80s, Looney Tunes was still prominent on your Saturday morning oh, cartoons. Yeah. And I lived for it. I loved it. I think I think some of my favorites were it's the Goofy one. Goofy's one of my favorite. He is my favorite Disney character. But the Goofy ones where he's like doing the things and the narrator is narrating over the whole mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. I think those were some of my favorites. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Good yeah. all, those old cartoons. I mean Tom and Jerry. Yeah. My my father who was born in 1919, he used to get up on Sunday mornings before church and watch Tom and Jerry with me. And he would be rolling in laughter <laughs> even though he had seen these like 100 times. And he would laugh. So Tom and Jerry, my kids liked that too. All right, cartoons. I feel better. I feel better about the world. <laughs> cartoons made <laughs> it better. Go. Hey, Joe Rogan's always welcome. Always. Anytime. Yeah. Matt Walsh. Both of them. That'd be great. Till next week. Yep. All Thanks, right. guys. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, Visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it. <laughs>